You're listening to the Ambition Incubator podcast, and I'm your host, Deirdre Morrison. I'll be sharing some bite-sized brain science, thought-provoking questions, and mind-bending ideas about how our brains work, change, learn, and adapt, and how we can use the knowledge emerging from the field of neuroscience to open up new possibilities and make the progress we want in all areas of our lives. Hey there, and welcome to the episode. I had the opportunity to catch up with Rob Fitzpatrick for this one, and Rob describes himself as a serial entrepreneur. Now, I don't know about you, but that really resonated with me, and there is a little bit of food for thought in the description itself. But beyond his 15 years of entrepreneurship, Rob is also the author of books like The Mom Test, Write Useful Books, and The Workshop Survival Guide. We're talking to a genuine been there, done that man of business here. And Rob was game enough to play the letter to my younger business self game with me. And oh boy, was that packed with gems. So as always, I heard the letter for the first time after we hit record. So you're going through it with me absolutely fresh as we unpack all the awesome things that Rob had to say to his younger self. This might just be the best 20 minutes of advice for entrepreneurs that you're going to get for free. So here we go. Hey, hey, you are going to love entrepreneurship. It is maximum creativity with minimum BS, but there are a couple traps to watch out for. First, think of it as a long-term career path, not a single company. If an idea isn't working, it's just a bump along the road. It's not the end of the journey. When you're playing the long game like this, you'll get smarter about risk and you'll end up getting further, faster, and with less stress. Secondly, an idea cannot be good or bad in a vacuum. It can only be good or bad for you right now. Don't get stuck into trying to optimize the spreadsheet game. Think about how you want to spend your days. Follow your curiosity, not the big numbers. The best trick I've learned is to pick customers you enjoy hanging out with. A lot of the time you spend in business involves talking, listening, understanding, and empathizing with your customers. If you don't like hanging out with them, if you don't respect them, enjoy them, you're going to have a really hard time doing all those activities. Lastly, you need to start writing, at least a little bit every day. Even if you're just journaling for yourself, it'll make you smarter, more focused, happier. In the past 15 years, all of the best opportunities that I've gotten, all of the best people I've met have come from just the habit of, of, of writing what I, I'm thinking about and then sharing the occasional interesting bits. Apart from that, have fun. Building interesting stuff for people you care about is a wonderful way to spend your days and earn a living. I wish you all the best with it. Rob Pitts. Wow. <laughs> so, Rob, thank you so much. That is like really comprehensive advice to your younger business self. <laughs> I absolutely love that. And just the one thing I think that that really jumped out at me at the very start was the idea that entrepreneurship is so creative. What was the phrase you used? You used a, a phrase that really maximum stuck creativity out. with minimum BS. Or, or uh, bureaucracy, yeah, if that. you want the slightly more, <laughs> uh, you know, family-friendly version. Okay. So maximum creativity, minimum bureaucracy. <laughs> <laughs> so how does that actually look on a day-to-day -day basis? Because this is one of the things that is coming up um, quite a mm. lot, really, and with the people that I'm talking to. They they want to be more creative. They want to express because we're all creative. You know, we all have this naturally in us. But it's like, how do I be that? Many hundreds of years ago, if you wanted to be a creative, you know, as, as a professional, 
you know, you had to go find a prince or a king or some sort of noble who would sponsor you, right? Like you can find Leonardo da Vinci's resume where he was basically applying to kings and saying, please give me money so I can continue my creative work. We're now free of those gatekeepers, thank goodness. But in exchange, we need to learn some extra skills for ourselves. You know, maybe that's audience building. Maybe it's a little bit about creating a team and defining some processes so that they can support you. Uh, it's a little bit of awareness about money, right? Uh, it's a little bit about learning how to talk to people and understand their their problems and their goals so that you can find the intersection about the part of your creativity that you care about and what they need and want in their days and their lives. And I think it's, we sometimes talk ourselves out of it because we go, oh, I, I don't want to learn about accounting, so business isn't for me. But actually, I, I think about it differently. I think I want to spend the lion's share of my day with a direct connection to the people I'm serving, with as few gatekeepers between me and them as possible. That that's pure creativity. And and you know, if my customers hate it, then fine. Like I'll I'll try to find a different version of what I care about that's going to fit into their lives. And it, it's such an exciting time for me. And, and I see e as I add each of these skills, like I'm an introvert. My background is in programming. When I learned sales, ooh, it was a nightmare, you know? And <laughs> that company failed because I was so slow and so inefficient at learning sales. But once it finally clicked shortly after that business, I was like, wow, what a career multiplier. I can now talk to strangers. I can understand what they need. I can figure out how they're going to pay me for the stuff that I want to create. And, and suddenly my, you know... The further I go, the more it feels like play. Uh, early on, it felt like guilt and stress. and I, But I think that was just me being in my own head. It wasn't necessarily the nature of the problem. And uh, th th that's how I think about it. How do you think about it? How do I think about it? I, I actually, when you said there about sales, I mean, this is one of the things, again, this is another stumbling block that I see so many people coming up against. You know, they're really loving the work that they have found that they want to do. And then there is this, I guess, sort of structure that they think they should follow in terms of sales, but it doesn't feel like it is how they should be doing mm. this. It doesn't feel like it it fits in their in their soul, in their core. It doesn't it doesn't feel right. Um, so that's one of the things as well. And, and, you know, when we get to the stage where we've got play, Play is like so important and so underrated, I think, isn't Absolutely. it? Absolutely. Um, but this idea that you can find the thing and when you found that thing that you want to talk to people about, then talking to people is easy because they can't shut you up. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. When my first business, we were trying to build innovative advertising technology for big brands. And I don't like advertisers. I did not like hanging out with them. I did not care about helping them earn more money or more clicks or any of that stuff. I went into that business cynically because I thought it was a big opportunity. And that's great when everything is going well, when you're on TV, you're in magazines, you're, you're getting talked about, your investors love you. But every business hits these, you know, it slows down, you enter a grind at some point. And I found that once we got into the grind, it was just awful because it... it I, I didn't have the intrinsic motivation. All of my motivations, that was my first business. I was young. I just wanted to succeed. I wanted the big business. I wanted the investors. They were all like external signals of success. When what I should have done, we had an amazing team. We should have built a creative design agency, for example. Uh, we got, we should have made 
video games for kids. Like there, there's so many things we should have done that weren't advertising. And we just weren't, we weren't steering with our own rudder. We were, we were following other people's advice, building someone else's dream. And that's very stressful. And by the end of it, we ended up raising a couple rounds of funding. So once you've got the money, you're stuck with it, right? You've taken a million dollars or whatever from someone. It's not like you can say, wait, I changed my mind. And by the, by the <laughs> end of that business, I was like, okay, I've taken on this obligation. I'm going to do my best. But I really felt like I'd built the worst possible job for myself. Like I, I built my own prison through my hard work and suffering. And I was like, woof. <laughs> so after that, I was like, okay, I got to care about it first. It, it's got to come from me. And something else I found is that I'm naturally bad at management. Management stresses me out a lot. Having big team, lots of employees. Um, I learned recently that I have ADHD. So it's like that kind of daily uh, regularity of management was just always very hard for me. And mm -hmm. What I shifted to is I was like, okay, what can I do either by myself or with just a couple collaborators? And so I was looking at product categories and business models that could be built by a very small team that had low customer support, low maintenance, no direct sales. And, and that's how I ended up through a roundabout path. I kickstarted a board game that I designed. I wrote some books. I got into to the publishing and book industry, built some software. And, and I was always like, what can I build largely by myself? And that was one of the first constraints I realized. Small team, enjoy the work, care about the customers. And now that I've got my feet underneath me a little bit, I'm like, okay, I now see how to go after bigger opportunities in a way that still matches my personality and my constraints and doesn't cause me undue strength. And so, you know, we're, we're, we're building yeah. into that. I've slowly regained the, the ambition, but at least it's coming from myself instead of from investors. Yeah, this, this is a really interesting point that you raise. Um, this idea that, you know, the initial business, like you said, it was, it was going for what you had, I guess, learned of what you had seen other people describing as success. And then to find that, you know, when you are actually doing the things that you uh, believe in yourself, that you feel good about, that work in your own way, um, that you become known for that, which is, I guess, another door into success that we're not really talking about so much. It's hard. The scalable startup world has a significant PR advantage because who does the newspaper and the press write about? They write about the most valuable companies. Like who talks at the conferences? The people ha had these unusual rocket ship successes. Like who seems most credible? Well, let's put a number on it. Like clearly the, you know. And so it, it's hard to, to come out uh, as a, and say, you know what? Actually, I, I don't, I'm not that ambitious. Like I'm trying to, build a life on my own terms, provide financial security for my family, serve customers I care about at whatever scale. That can be at the scale of, you know, a household, a neighborhood, a, a country, an industry. Um, but all of those are fine. Uh, and yeah, it's it, but it's, it's so hard to get away from, especially as a, a young person, right? Because what you're always hearing is like, yeah. it's a billion dollars or it's nothing. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's it's all about the um the overnight success and the unicorns and all the rest of it. Um but yeah, there there's something that um that seems to be just one of those pitfalls mm. that we in a way have to fall into a little bit at some stage. Um to in to, I guess no light without shadow. <laughs> we can't really see what we want unless we've seen what we don't want in a way. It's a great way to describe it and you know, there's a bit of fumbling around and I, I got really uh, more hurt by my first business than I needed to because I was seeing it as the only, I was seeing it as my only business. And I thought if this business fails, my entrepreneurship career is over, you know, you've only got one. So it seems like everything. 
And so because of that, I, I was really stupid with my personal finances. I was pouring in my personal savings to try to cover payroll for one more week and pretend we weren't failing. I was not communicating with my business partners because I was trying to take all the stress on myself so that they didn't have to deal with it. And after that, I was super broke and super burned out. And it took me quite a lot of time and effort to recover from both of those pieces. And since then, it's like I, I've tried to... Um, embrace the failure a little bit quickly. Of course, you want the businesses to succeed. And the the irony is that I learned that the more willing I was to face the potential failure, the less it happened because I was noticing the problems, not in like this high stress, oh, it's the end of the world way, but in like, ooh, that's an issue. How am I going to get around that? And suddenly making more rational decisions. And hmm. something else has happened for me. I don't, I don't know how relevant this is, but some businesses are way easier than others both in terms of their <laughs> likelihood of success and also in terms of the the risk and the journey and the cost and the time of getting them to a stable place where they're at least paying for themselves and uh, you know more or less your time they're survivable right and and <laughs> my first business was crazy cuz it was like the the path there was going to cost millions of dollars and half a decade right we were trying to compete with facebook and twitter we were out of our minds we were 24 years old i don't know what we were thinking and and after that i was like well i'm broke and burned out i just need a business that succeeds and so i got real uh, skeptical about the ideas i was looking at and i chose one that wasn't going to be a big business but it had almost 100% success like odds of success and i was like cool that gave me a year like that gives me time to gather myself and, and, and recover. And then after that, it's like, okay, well, what do I want? And I, I found that the complexity has gradually been stepping up as I gain more skills and, and more understanding of how to, how to run these things. It's a lot to learn. Some people can do it, but it's for me, I was, I was slow. I had to learn one thing at a time. <laughs> well, so can I ask you if we um, just go back to what you said there about the some businesses are easier to work than others. That seems like a, a great little thing to dig into there. How does somebody know when, what are the flags for this is going to be difficult? Uh, so I, I call this the, or think of it as the shape of the idea. So you can't know the idea's exact journey or it's exact whether it's going to succeed or not or exactly what it will turn into. But you can understand the shape of the idea and how that shape is going to fit within the context of your life. Just like if you're getting a pet, like a cat, a dog, an alligator, a goldfish, you don't know exactly how they're going to grow up or what they'll look like, but, but you can understand the shape of those different animals and how they're going to fit into your city apartment or not. And so with ideas, uh, one important one is how long is it going to take for us, like in terms of months and money, for us to get a reliable signal about whether or not this thing is likely to work? In, mm -hmm. in some businesses, like uh, with science-led heavy technology businesses, you have to spend five years inventing something first before you're even able to start exploring the commercialization side. So that has to be funded by these big academic institutions, right? It's, it's, it's business suicide if you try to do something like that on, on your own. Similarly, if you want to start a cafe or a restaurant, uh, the normal way of doing that is very scary because a, a kitchen refurb costs something like 200 grand. Uh, there's months and months of, of if you're redecorating, you're rebuilding the kitchen, you're training your staff, you're developing the menu. You're looking at a quarter million dollars and, and six months to a year of time before you even get to figure out if people want to come in and eat there. So then people go, oh, well, let's start it as a, you know, a market stall or a pop up. Yeah, that, that's like using strategy to compensate for the inherent risk of the idea to, to bring a little bit of the learning forward. Um, anything with a network effect, like building a software app for a phone is always going to take three to six months longer than building the same thing as a website. 
Building something for consumers almost always requires that you have a prototype or a version one, which is going to add months and money, programming time. Whereas building for businesses, you often get to go talk to them. You can understand their needs and budgets and get a bit of a signal even before you built anything. So hmm. that's part of it is like how long till evidence uh, related to that is how long till it's likely to break even. You know, once we've got that evidence, you know, and this is table stakes. Like how much money do you need to put down just to get into the game and start playing? Uh, and it's for me, it's very scary if that's going to be a long time and it's going to be blind. I'm doing it now yeah. because now I'm financially stable. Now I can fund my own businesses with my my books and my other projects. So now I'm willing to go into a much longer startup journey where I'm going to be blind and unprofitable because now my life allows for that. Whereas to do that as a, a, a young person, it basically put me at the mercy of investors and it empowered investors as my gatekeepers. And I could not succeed without them which ultimately then created this other stress. Uh, that's part of it. What else? Well, one thing you mentioned there was... Um, I mean, what would you add to the mix? Yeah. Yeah, I was just going to say, you mentioned about um, the alligator or the goldfish or whatever fitting in your apartment. And I guess that is one of these things as well. You know, we we don't have two completely discrete lives. You know, we don't have a work life and a home life. They are one and the same. And if this thing this is going to balloon out of all proportion and take up everything and suck your home life dry. That's not really going to work out either, is it? Yeah, I mean, it's a great point. My, my dad ran a small kind of car repair shop and he used to say the owner is the janitor. You know, he, he I, I do what, you know, he, he would say, I, I do what my staff are unwilling to do because it's too boring, too dirty, whatever. And that was the type of business he built. And no matter, like, if he had a crazy flu, he would still have to show up on Friday every week to do payroll. And so one of the kind of part of the shape of that idea was that he could not really travel. He could not really take vacations. He could not take a month off. And that was something that you can predict when you, when you look at these businesses, same with a cafe, a restaurant, anything. And, and another big one for me is, am I in a rush? Is this a winner-take-all business where I have to be first and best or I get nothing? Uh, if I slow down, can someone else swoop in who's who's raised a bunch of money and can they take my lunch away from me? Uh, and I really like now um, the idea that I'm not in a rush. Non-urgent businesses that I can build at my own pace. And, and you know, if I need to take a pause, I can do that. But still, there, there's a path mm -hmm. towards something serious and, and, and ambitious. And... It's something my business partner, Devin, and I talk about a lot. We, you know, we go, oh, are, are there network effects? Are there winner-take-all dynamics? Are, do we need to be in a rush with this? Because if so, mm. it's like, ooh, he's just having his second baby. Like, we can't go after ideas that are going to force us to go all or nothing. That's a kind of a, a life journey sort of approach, isn't it? Because when you are 24, when you're mm. young and when you just don't have anything else going on, then, you know, you, you can throw yourself at it. Yeah, that, full time. that's the, the advantages that, that young people have in business is uh, I guess I've been a bit mean with my self-judgment. Know that I'm judging my young self, not not your, uh, not your anyone else's. <laughs> but the advantages is that you have a very low cost of living and you can go all in. And so it, it gives you a lot of shots at goal because if something doesn't work out, you, you just crash on your friend's couch or, or you go back and hang out with your parents for a bit. You know, like the you're very unconstrained in that way, which is extremely liberating. And, and you know, you can try crazy stuff uh, when you need an 80 percent chance of success or, or more. It, it really limits the number of ideas mm. that are viable to work on. But again, I guess that's, you know, it, there's a, a plus and a minus mm. to that because, yeah, you can, you know, take lots of shots, as you say, and get one of them to work. Or alternatively, you can do it in the inverse proportion <laughs> and get that one to work. Yeah, I, 
I mean, I'm happy. You, you also don't need that much income to never need to work again. I think this is something I didn't understand as a young person. I thought I had to get rich first and then I could buy my freedom. But actually, if you can set something up that generates a little bit of reliable cash flow and you can have your freedom now, you don't need to go through getting rich to get there. And there's, you know, if you know where you're trying to get to, you can often find a much more direct path to that goal. Yes. Yes, that is so important, isn't it? I mean, starting out and not knowing where it is that you're trying to get to. And again, I see this all the time. That is <laughs> just enter the maze and see how long you want to spend there. So listen, just one last question to, to wrap up, Rob, if you don't mind. I'm wondering about people who have got to a certain age, let's say 24 plus, <laughs> maybe 24, <laughs> and they are starting um, you know, they're making a change. They are deciding, right, you know what? I have done this nine to five life. I want to get out of this. I want to I want to express something else in the world. What would you say to them? You have so many advantages when you're when you're later in life because you have actual experience deep in industries or deep with different uh, slices of life, different customers, people in different situations. Like the Paul Graham has this wonderful concept. Paul Graham was the founder of Y Combinator, uh, an influential startup investor. He has this great idea of like uh, sitcom startup ideas. And, and he's like, these are the types of ideas that students come up with. And that if they did an episode of Friends that was about Joey starts a startup, it would be this sort of idea. Oh, it's, you know, food delivery for students. It's something that sounds like a business, but it's actually not rooted in a deep understanding of any customer's particular life or product. Um, it's a sitcom startup idea. And when you've got a bit more life experience and career experience, you can be like, you know, oh, man, it, it's super hard to homeschool kids in, in this particular situation. And there's hundreds of thousands of parents going through that. Like, let me serve them. And you speak their language. They're going to take you seriously. They're going to answer your call. They're going to talk to you. Uh, mm -hmm. And there's like, arguably, my first business failed because I was bad in meetings like sales meetings, learning meetings, conversations. I just didn't have those skills, right? And also don't underestimate the fact that like you 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 know how to do things. Like you are stable. <laughs> like you've got all these foundational skills so you can focus on the the particularities of what you're building instead of having to learn all of professional life simultaneously. Um the what else would I say? The there's always a smart way and a dumb way to build any given business. So, and the the relative cost of this probably spans an order of magnitude. So there's a $10,000 version of your cafe and there's a $100,000 version of it. And there's probably a million dollar version of it. And I, it's possible to spend and lose an arbitrarily large amount of money when you're pursuing a business in a way that doesn't increase its likelihood of success. And so there's, there's also definitely a bit of... Um, Maybe the thing to be worried about is that uh, if you get used to kind of always succeeding at the job or, or always doing the very polished version, uh, when you're doing it for yourself, it's like, okay, how do I do it cheaper, scrappier? How do I get the bad news sooner? So Not so I can give up, but so that I can find a path around it. And there's a lot of use of, you know, there, there's stuff to learn. Uh, you know, there, there, there's stuff to do, but I, I'd say do it. I mean, I only feel, I'm 37 now, so, but I'm, I only feel better and better equipped to do business uh, with each additional year of experience. My ideas are getting better. I'm, I'm able to engage with my team better. I'm able to manage my personal life better. It's, it's great. You're going to love it. Yeah. Self-confidence goes a long way, mm. doesn't it? 
Yeah, listen, Rob, that was absolutely amazing. Thank you so much. Um, what I would like to do is just ask you um, if there is a particular way that people can follow you, get in touch with you, find out more about what you do. And I'll put that in the show notes as well, if you want to just yeah. fire it out uh, now. Robfitz.com is my personal site, and that has links to my three books, you know, my my other stuff. I'm, I'm pretty active on, you know, people ask me questions about the books on YouTube, and I reply with a little video for them. And so th awesome. th that's it. But Robfitz.com, R-O-B-F-I-T-Z, is, is where you find everything. Excellent. Listen, thank you so much. I have absolutely and thoroughly enjoyed this. I really, really did. Oh, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Hey, before you go, I want to take a moment to say thanks for tuning into this episode of the Ambition Incubator podcast and just check to make sure you know that you can join me each week for a deep dive, dynamic, collaborative reading of some business classics. You'll find all the information you need when you register for free at ambitionincubator.com forward slash BBC. I'll see you there.